Matthew chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony and you shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all of these things I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said. Go, sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. The other day I saw an ad for a phone, and one of the selling points of this phone was its editing capabilities, the camera's editing capabilities. And so the commercial for this phone featured um, someone trying to take a picture of a little girl at the beach uh, with tons of people behind her. So it would have been the perfect shot, uh, if not for these pesky background people. Uh, Perfect photo for your Christmas card, share with your friends, uh, social media, but these pesky bystanders uh, in the way of the perfect photo. But fear not, dear consumer, because this phone comes with an editing tool that with a few strokes of your finger, you can edit those background people right out. Photos cleared up. It appears that your family was enjoying a quiet, if not solitary day at the beach. You can edit these folks out, just a quiet city streets. The editing tool is called the Magic Eraser. Anyone have this? Google Pixel fans out there? Nope, nope, iPhone, all right. <laughs> and it gives a false picture of reality, literally. Truth be told, though, it's not just our phones. In a lot of life, we find ourselves dealing in pretense. Social media, of course, where we can edit and crop and filter every photo, uh, present the story that we want to, maybe half half truth, uh, half of the story told. More than that, though, all these other ways in daily life, it's a cliche to say this, to point it out, but I'm going to do it anyways, is that our small talk, our interactions with people around us, It's your turn in line. The barista says, how are you this morning? And you say, fine, I'm good. Without thinking, autopilot, nine times out of ten, the word coming out of your mouth is fine, good. Could be the furthest thing from the truth. Fine, good. Same exchange is repeated at work, in the elevator, in public transit, maybe with people in a church service. How are you? Fine, good. My mic is going crazy. I was listening to a podcast the other day where they named how much uh, we've done that coming out of the pandemic. (laughs) We try so hard to get back to normal, 
as if we haven't just walked through a tremendous amount of collective grief and trauma. Fine, good, how are you? And the wear and tear on our minds, our hearts, our bodies is mostly ignored. Magic eraser is actually one of our favorite tools. And here's the thing. We do it with God. We do it all the time with God. Embracing a false picture of reality, hustling God. What does that look like? How do we do that? What does that mean? How do we try and hustle God? Let's define our terms for a minute. What do we mean by hustling God? So the series that we're in, the sermon series, is based on a book called Having the Mind of Christ by Matt Tebby and Ben Sturkey. And this is how they put it. They say most people in the Gospels, it seemed, approach Jesus with ulterior motives and hidden agenda. I'm going to pull this quote up real quick. Most people in the Gospels, it seems, approach Jesus with ulterior motives and hidden agenda. They try to test or impress Jesus or hide from him or recruit him for a self-justification project. We call this a hustle because this dynamic is best identified by two prevalent definitions, busy movement and activity and a fraud or swindle. To hustle in a spiritual sense is to expend lots of energy to try to gain something from God and others by hiding, performing, or pretending instead of simply recognizing and expressing our actual state of being. And they note that in this, we avoid being honest about our needs, desires, wants, and fears. We avoid being honest about what's actually going on in our actual lives, our actual needs, our actual desires, our actual fears, our actual emotions, whatever they might be, however messy they might be. And here's the thing. We find in the Christian scriptures, human beings doing this a lot, trying to hustle God, always hiding or pretending or flattering or trying to work the angle somehow. If you go all the way back to Genesis 3, human beings rebel against God, sin against God. And what do they do? They, they hide. They hide from God. They start shifting blame, like pointing fingers in every direction. They try to just cover it up. Maybe God won't notice. But here's some really, really good news for us tonight. God is committed to getting people to get real with him. God is committed to getting us to get real with him. Genesis 3, people hide. What happens? God goes after them. God says, where are you? The seeking, searching, committing to getting people to get real with him, God comes after them. We see this in the Gospels, in the ministry of Jesus. In fact, the people who actually experience the grace of Jesus, the people who actually experience the, the power of Jesus, are the ones who are willing to get real with Jesus. The tax collectors, the down and out, the sinners, the mourners, the I'm at the end of my rope ones. Blessed are the mourners. Blessed are are the poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are hungry and thirsty for something they don't yet have. Those who are willing to get honest and stop pretending, performing, posing, pointing fingers, and actually meet with God. Our passage today that Nate read, Mark 10, this guy comes to Jesus. We don't know the man's motivations. Was he testing Jesus? Was he just trying to flatter Jesus? Was he pretty convinced of his own righteousness and he really just wanted Jesus to kind of rubber stamp it all? Or was he bringing real existential questions? Like, am I enough? Am I doing this right? Am I okay? 
As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And how does Jesus respond? In a very Jesus-y way. Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. This is the pattern for Jesus, because he gets asked questions a lot. But very rarely does Jesus respond with a direct answer. He usually asks another question in response, or tells a story in response. Questions that provoke and unsettle, stories that are meant to unearth something. Why? In part because he's trying to help people unearth what is actually going on in their actual lives, their actual inner world. Why? Because that's always the place of healing. Not in the pretending, in the posing, but in the willing to get real with God. That's actually the place of growth, of transformation. That's the place where you can meet God. So how do we do it? How do we hustle God? How do we avoid dealing honestly with God? I'm just going to name a few strategies tonight. Some might sound familiar. They may not. Strategy number one, being the good girl, the good boy. This is a go-to move for religious people. Walk a straight line, earn the gold star. And with this strategy, desires are seen as dangerous. Desires get ignored. Emotions get ignored. And we just expend lots and lots of energy trying to manage God's perception of us or other people's perception of us. And in the end, the good girl, the good boy strategy, it's a strategy to hide, to actually keep God at a distance, to hide from our own hearts. Strategy number two, being busy for Jesus. This is another version of the performance track. And the with God life is traded for doing things for God life, as if what Jesus is most after is your schedule or your to-do list. And in this, we believe this lie, maybe not like overtly, maybe we would never say it out loud, but somewhere deep in our story, deep in our bones, we believe this lie that if I just do one more thing for God, then I'll get his approval, then he'll be pleased. Maybe it's not being busy for Jesus, maybe it's just being busy. Like these plates are not going to spin themselves. I got to do it. Strategy number three, hustling God, pretending. Pretending. There are a lot of ways that we do this. One tool is spiritual bypassing. Angry, sad, ashamed. We tell ourselves we should not feel that way. And so we throw a scripture verse on there or commit to just pray more. And we try to leapfrog over our actual emotion. I'm not supposed to be angry, we tell ourselves. I'm not supposed to be afraid. I should trust God more. Instead of processing my grief, I say that the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not supposed to doubt God. And so we respond with judgment or contempt or indifference or the emotion barely even registers in our body because we're so used to to bypassing it, or so says my therapist. (laughs) And we do this to ourselves, and we do it to other people. We tell someone, just pray, just pray more. Just read your Bible more. We love that magic eraser. (sighs) Strategy number four, uh, for lack of a better label, calling it the I am a worm strategy. 
when we sin, when we fail to love God, when we fail to love people, when we're caught in a destructive habit, we just try and heap contempt on ourselves, making sure God knows how awful I am, how unworthy I am. It's like if I can't win God's favor by doing all the right things, then at least I can let God know that I know how wrong I am. Sort of a self-contemptuous way of trying to work the angles. But here's the thing. Here's the really good news. Your actual life, including in your sin, that's where you meet God. That's where you discover Jesus. Your actual life is the only place you have to meet God, not in the pretense, but in the getting real. Each week during the sermon series, we're looking at an axiom that provides a a paradigm shift, a, a correction to how we see so that we can see like Jesus does. And our axiom for tonight is this, God meets us in our messy reality. The invitation is to be present to God where we actually are. If you look at our passage from tonight, verse 21, first part of that verse, it says this, Jesus looked at him, this man, playing all these games, kind of working the angles. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus is inviting this man to deal with reality, to deal honestly. And this man is trying to do anything but that. And in the middle of it all, Jesus looked at him and loved him. That's a whole sermon right there. I should have just read that verse and stopped and we could go eat snacks and go home. That's a whole sermon right there. Jesus looks at him and loves him, working the angles, playing the game, trying to hustle God, not wanting to be where he really is. And Jesus looks at him and loves him. As one scholar points out in the Greek, which is the original language of the New Testament, the the word there implies an overt action. Like he looked at him and loved him and maybe wrapped him up in a hug. Like he looked at him and loved him and maybe put his arm around him. In our messy reality, we are met with the loving gaze of God. The one who breathed life into you, your creator, your sustainer, your redeemer, inviting you to name where you actually are and to meet with God there. One thing you lack, Jesus said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow Wealth, riches, is a terrific way to avoid God. And remember, in a global economy, we are among the rich and wealthy. And it's a really tempting way to avoid God. Jesus says you're clinging to a lot. You're holding on to a lot, perhaps kind of propping yourself up with a lot. All that wealth, let it go and follow me. And the man can't go there, and he walks away. The message paraphrase says this. Looking at his disciples, Jesus said, Do you have any idea how difficult it is for people who have it all to enter God's kingdom? And the disciples couldn't believe what they were hearing. But Jesus kept on. You can't imagine how difficult. I'd say it's easier for a camel to go through a needle's eye than for the rich to get into God's kingdom. That got their attention. And they asked, then who has any chance at all? Jesus was blunt. No chance at all if you think you can pull it off by yourself. Every chance in the world if you let God do it. In the end, the hustle fails us. And that's really good news. In the end, the hustle fails us and thank God that it does. In the end, the hustle fails us, and it's so kind of God to let it fail. 
Why do we hustle God? Why do we do it in the first place? Chuck and I have been doing this um, unintentional conditioning with our children, this sort of like social experiment going on in our apartment, because every time we go to clean, they assume it must mean that someone's coming over that night. Like the only time they ever see us like cleaning, uh, apparently in their eyes, not far from the truth, but apparently in their eyes is someone's coming over. So we got to tidy up, someone's coming. And we do that with God. We make this assumption that we got to tidy up a little bit that we have to be somewhere other than where we actually are. That we have to finish our work or break a bad habit or get our act together or confess or apologize enough and then God will take us seriously and then maybe God will hear us and then maybe God will respond. Why do we hustle God? Because we think it's what God requires. The author of uh, the book that we're studying in discipleship groups, they have a podcast uh, and these episodes are looking at each of these axioms. And our guest preacher last week, Christy Penley, she's actually the co-host in their, on their podcast. And the episode that corresponds with this axiom, they say this. They say, this axiom builds on the earlier ones, including God is love, and God looks just like Jesus. I can meet God in my reality because God is like Jesus. You want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. They go on to say, sometimes the reason I don't want to face my messy reality is I'm afraid the mess down here disqualifies me. To me, God, my messy reality becomes true because God is present and at work. And the God who is present and at work is Jesus. Sometimes we're afraid the mess down here disqualifies us. But God is here. God is with us. God is present. God is at work. The God who is love, who showed up in the flesh in Jesus full of grace and full of truth, moving towards us, even in the mess, especially in the mess. I got in a fight with Chuck one time. Today. I'm just kidding. <laughs> and I, I remember uh, the date of this particular fight because it was Valentine's Day. It was last Valentine's Day. It was Valentine's Day morning. We didn't even make it until 8 a.m. And I'll go ahead and I'll skip to the punchline. I'll tell you what it was about. We had a fight over Valentine's cookies for my son's preschool class. Like, how can you not fight about that? <laughs> how can you not fight about that? And so I said, in the moment, I said some things to Chuck that I, that I shouldn't have said in front of all my ch children. <laughs> and they heard it all. And when I went to uh, apologize to Chuck, and I also told my kids, I know I shouldn't have said that to your dad, and my oldest said, yeah, and on Valentine's Day. <laughs> and I was like, cool, so you were paying attention. Great, did you take notes? Cool, therapy, great. And here's the thing. If God meets me in my messy reality, that includes that fight, that moment, my actual anger, all my frustration, my actual story, all those triggers I have in my story, all those wounds, if the loving gaze of Jesus is upon me, then I can actually, in that moment, respond with kindness. Yes, I handled that poorly. I should not have said that. I need to confess my sin to Chuck. I need to ask for his forgiveness. But I also can respond with kindness in that moment. Kindness to myself. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And in fact, it's God's kindness that actually leads us to repentance, to turn around if I jump to the hustle, I know those moves so well. If I jump to the hustle, 
spending all this energy on contempt or, or self-condemnation or, or just trying to be, you know, the good girl, that path, like, oh, I shouldn't have said that and beat myself up. If I do that, then I miss hearing what God is saying to me in that moment. I cut off the path to formation, to growth. But it's not just kindness. If, if God is meeting me in my messy reality, and that includes that fight and that moment and my anger and my frustration and my actual story, it's not just kindness. I also can respond with curiosity that allows me to pay attention and participate in my actual life right where I am. And curiosity allows me to say, even in this moment when I hurt my husband and I could fall right off that cliff of shame, instead, I'm going to ask questions and be curious about what God is bringing to the surface in that moment. Because God is present and at work and God is love and God looks like Jesus and God is meeting in my, in my messy reality, I can actually be curious, not shutting down the exploration, not bypassing the work that needs to be done, not falling off the cliff of shame, but saying, okay, Lord, why did I react that way? Why did Chuck not listening to me about cookies set me off? What was that hitting in my story? What was really going on there? My messy reality, Valentine's Day 2022, becomes a moment of, of healing, of transformation, of discipleship. Let's all agree tonight that, that hustling is exhausting. Yeah. But the good news is that Jesus calls us out of the hustle. The good news is I can learn what it means to lay that down. That Jesus waits to meet us here, not with a look of condemnation, but with a gaze of love. For God who took on flesh and dwelled among us is the God we worship tonight, is the God we're drawing near to tonight. The God who fully enters into our actual life, right here, right now. I'm going to invite you into a few moments of reflection. There's some questions that are going to come on the screen. Uh, you can feel free to um, Take a picture of those if you want. I think we have those questions. Yes. Okay, I'm going to lead us in a time of reflection around these just for a minute. If you want to take a picture of those and maybe journal on them, uh, reflect on those later this week, you can. Um, but otherwise, I invite you just to close your eyes. I'm going to lead us some time to ponder those questions. God, thanks that you are here with us. That you're so good and you're so kind that you just keep inviting us to be honest and real with you. Is there a messy reality in your life that it's difficult for you to meet God in? Take a few moments in the quiet and just see what God brings to the surface. Is there a messy reality in your life that it's difficult for you to meet God in? Why do you think it's difficult? What are you afraid of?
What strategies are you using to avoid meeting God there? Maybe it's the busyness, the pretending, the hiding, spiritual bypassing, trying to be somewhere other than where you actually are. What strategies are you using to avoid meeting God there? What is God saying to you tonight? You search me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. He looked at him and loved him. He looked at her and loved her. I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. Your hand will not let me go. Jesus, we pray over our weeks ahead, our week ahead, that you would continue to lead us and guide us by your spirit, that you would show us where we're hustling and exhausted and you're inviting us into something else. Would you be so kind to bring things to our mind, maybe things that we listen to, that we read, friends in our lives who know us well, who can listen well and help us process where you're inviting us to lay down the hustle and to meet with you in our messy reality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.